So finally, week 14, we have reached uh, our concluding Sunday in our Sermon on the Mount series. So I'm assuming, Eric, these mountains, will they be, will they be gone next week? Yep. Sorry, guys. We're taking down the mountains, right? Um, you know what it says. Faith can move a mountain, right? So uh, the faithful will be moving several mountains this week. So that'll be good. Um, but uh, it's been a good series, I think. I know I've grown uh, a ton in my own faith um, just working through some of these texts uh, again for sometimes maybe what's the 5th, 6th, 10th, 50th time. You know, some of these passages, we've heard them over and over again, and yet you know that Scripture is living when you read something that you've read a million times before, and yet God speaks very clearly to you something different that you've never, never heard before. And that's, that's really the way it's been through the Sermon on the Mount series. But uh, we're going to kind of conclude here with chapter 7, and the last... Uh, Last week, we covered the first six verses, so today I'm going to pick up in um, verse 7, and like the rest of chapter 7 is really kind of broken down into some really good parts, and so we're just going to kind of read a part, talk about it, read another part, talk about it, hopefully you're okay with that, so uh, if you do have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to pick that up. Um, We're not going to have it up on the screen, so I really want you to focus just kind of on the words um, that I'm saying, again, if you have your Bible, all, everybody's like, oh, man, no cheating today, right? So they're pulling out your phones, whatever. It'll all work. I'm going to be reading in the NIV translation if you're curious. So um, if you're looking for one, you can find it in your phone, okay? So this is Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 6. Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give good gifts to those who ask him. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. How many of you, when you're in trouble, when you're in a season, a time of need, like to ask people for their help? How many of you love to ask people for help? Okay, look around, Anderson Township. We're not very good at this. We're just not very good at it. And why is that? I think, you know, there's various reasons for why we're not very good at asking for help. Probably the single greatest one is we see it as a sign of weakness. If I ask others for their help, then that shows a flaw, some kind of fundamental flaw in me. So I just don't ask. Or... Maybe the reason we don't ask is that we just don't want to bother people. We don't want to trouble anyone. Now, they've got their own stuff. They've got their own things that they're dealing with, their own issues. And so who am I to bother them? And yet I will say, I don't know if your all's experience has been the same as mine, but it's sometimes the people who seem the most overwhelmed by life, who have the most on their plate, who are also the people who are the quickest and most willing to help. Has that been your experience? It's been my experience. Or maybe sometimes we don't ask for help because we simply don't believe that there is anyone out there who can truly help us. 
I'm not going to bother anyone else because this situation that I'm in is impossible. And if it's impossible for me, then it's certainly impossible for anyone else. And the same things, the same reasons that we don't ask others for help are the same reasons that we often, time and time again, don't go to God with our stuff. We don't go to God with our problems. We don't go to God when we find ourselves in troubling, difficult situations. Because we don't want to bother him. I mean, he's God. He's got the whole universe to take care of. So who am I, right? Or maybe we don't really believe that God can help us. Not even God can move the thing, the obstacle that I'm facing. But nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus instructs us here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, to first and foremost ask. And maybe for some of us, we're doing the asking part, but it's the how we're asking, where we're lacking. We're kind of timidly approaching God, sort of approaching God like we would approach someone else when we already know the answer. I don't know about you who are parents out there, but my kids, I can tell in the way that they ask whether it's going to be something that I'm going to want to do or something that I'm not going to want to do, right? So Benjamin, his favorite thing is to ask to, um, like, go online and get, like, games or apps or things like that. And he knows that I'm not real pro, like, more technology. I feel like they have enough of it in their life. So, you know, it's funny. He'll start out by asking his mom, because <laughs> she's a little softer, right? And, and then she'll say, go ask your dad. <laughs> and he's always like, oh, right? Like, I gotta go. And then he'll come to me, and it's kind of one of those, dad. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh boy, here we go, right? And we kind of approach God the same way sometimes, like, God, yeah, you know, and we kind of beat around the bush, and we're kind of, you know, twiddling our thumbs, you know, and we don't just want to, and, and when, it, when the Bible says here, when Jesus says to ask and you will receive, he's saying ask in full confidence, knowing that the God who loves you, who created the universe, everything as far as the eye can see, cares about you and your situation and wants to come to your aid. So ask. Seek. How many of you ever lost something that was important to you? Most likely, if that's the case, you've torn through the entire house trying to find that precious whatever it might be that's what it means to seek after something and Jesus says that we should be seeking after God and if we will seek after him with that kind of intensity then we will find him and then Jesus says and knock We've, we talked about this a few weeks ago when we were talking about prayer in here but if we knock on God's door very timidly with a little tap tap right that's not what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, knock the door down. Don't beat around the bush. Get to the point. Go to God with your needs. Go to God with your concerns. He cares. And if an earthly father, when their son asks for a PlayStation game, won't give them a snake, right? Then how much more will your heavenly father who loves you give you good gifts, give you good things? And then I love here in this little snippet of scripture how Jesus kind of just throws in the golden rule. I mean, think about that. How many of you knew the golden rule before you knew Christ, right? I mean, that, that whole do unto others as you would have them do unto you, we, we have that fundamentally like drilled into us as children. And it's really just kind of tagged into scripture, just kind of thrown in here. Do unto others 
as you would have them do unto you. And then Jesus switches gears here a little bit. From judgment in the first six verses to prayer. And then he goes into this kind of new part of the text. Talking about um, some gates that are out there. This is verse 13. He says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many will enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So how many gates are there? Two. Now, in reality, there are multiple gates in our lives. Multiple choices that we have to make. But if you whittled it all down, it would basically come down to two gates. One of these gates leads to life. One of these gates, according to Jesus here, leads to death or destruction. Okay? There's two gates. Gate one is the wide gate. He also refers to the path beyond this gate as being the broad path or the broad road. Now, the wide gate, it looks very attractive. It's very appealing to us. When we first look upon it, we think, hmm, now that's a gate, if I ever saw one. It's shiny. We kind of want to be around it. What's most attractive about this gate is that there are many people hanging out there. They're around the gate, inside the gate, on the road, doing life. And we all know that if there are many people there... It's got to be a good thing. <laughs> yeah, not so much. That word many in Scripture in, in the Greek literally means the multitudes. So think about that. Jesus is saying, wide is the gate and broad is the road that ultimately will lead us to destruction. And yet, that is where you will find the multitudes. That's where you're going to find most people. Hanging out on the broad road. That's why if you're ever somewhere, uh, we were on our way to a kayak on the Little Miami yesterday, and we were on this little tiny bus. It was me, uh, my two boys, and their two cousins, and we were going out, and, and all these young millennials get on, and I'm not cramming on millennials right now because I love millennials, but there's like six or seven of them, and for the entire 20-minute bus ride to the place in the Little Miami we were getting out, all they could talk about was how much they had drank, how much they had used drugs, um, how many things they were looking forward to and, and about the river and how they were going to probably be out there for eight hours and they weren't sure if they were going to be able to find their way back because they were going to be so plastered by the bars they were going to stop to along the way. I mean, this was their entire conversation. And I'm just thinking, all right, I'm a little uncomfortable, you know? And at one point, some guy starts dropping the F-bomb a whole bunch and then the other guy goes, dude, there's kids on the bus, right? And I'm just thinking, you know, we shouldn't feel as, we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised by how out of place we feel sometimes. You know, and that's not to say that we are perfect or that we don't make mistakes, right? But it's just to say sometimes we're on a crowded bus and we're the only people and we're sitting towards the back and everyone around us is talking a certain way and looking a certain way and living a certain way. And sometimes I think we're a little, you know, like, Oliver just kept looking at me like, Dad, are you going to say something? Like, is it, this, this isn't even appropriate. Like, what are these people talking about? You know, and I mean, it's like, I really wasn't surprised because the multitudes are hanging out on the broad road. Why? Because it's attractive. And then there's this other gate. 
And it's a little less attractive. It's not nearly as appealing. It looks kind of ordinary, kind of mundane, kind of something you might come across on any given day. And the narrow road is beyond it. And on this narrow road, the Bible says, we will find few people. That word few literally means a minuscule number. So think about this, guys. Jesus is talking about all this stuff, and he says there are two gates. There's one that leads to death, and you're going to find the multitudes there, and there's another that leads to life, and only a very minuscule number of people are going to be there. Now, I don't know what the official numbers are of Christians worldwide. I'm, I'm guessing the number is pretty impressive. And so what I'm wondering, when I apply this idea to the numbers of Christians worldwide, I wonder if our numbers aren't a little skewed. I wonder if we aren't counting a few warm bodies. I mean, I know we as the church would never do that. You know, it's like the greatest temptation for pastors when you go to like pastor events. How many you got in your flock, brother? (laughs) Well, let's see, if I count every twin and I count, you know, I mean, it's like, it gets a little crazy, right? Oh, 1,200. You go there on Sunday and there's like 500 people. You're like, oh, what? Right? But think about that. A minuscule number. I can remember um, when I was in eighth grade. This was way back in, let's see, it would have been 1993. How many of you were alive in 1993? Okay, perfect. Good, good. I don't feel so alone because I knew the whole front row was not here. So, or at least this part of the front row. Sorry, Amy and Sharon. Um, <laughs> And I had to learn this uh, poem by Robert Frost. Did anybody uh, learn the poem, The Road Not Taken, by Robert Frost? Uh, what was it? It's like, two roads diverged in a wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler along I stood, looked down one as far as I could, to where it bent in the undergrowth. I don't know, I'm probably messing it up. But anyway, the whole point is, at the end of this uh, poem, Robert Frost says this, and I printed it out so I would read it right. He says, I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has what? Made all the difference. And that's kind of what I think about when I think about these two gates, these two roads. I think about the fact that, yes, one on the surface looks less attractive, But man, to choose that road, to choose to walk through that gate will make all the difference. It'll make all the difference. Why? Because it leads us to life. Life with Christ. Jesus is exhorting people to enter the kingdom of heaven through the narrow gate. The gate to heaven is narrow in the sense of having a particular requirement for entrance. And what is that requirement? It's faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Salvation is found, the Bible tells us, in no one else but Jesus Christ and him alone. Him alone. And then he continues. This is verse uh, verse 15. He says, watch out for false prophets They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And then he kind of transitions and he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is kind of warning them against false prophets, and he's giving them some insight as to how they can distinguish between a false prophet and a true prophet. So maybe change the language up, because we don't think about prophets a lot in our day and time, but think about it as like a believer. How do we, as believers in Christ, distinguish between true believers and false believers? Well, Jesus kind of makes it really simple. He says, look at the fruit of their life. What is the fruit that their life is producing? We've been working this summer through the fruits of the Spirit with the students in student ministry. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. A true believer will exhibit some of these fruits in their life. They can't help but do that because the Spirit of God is living in them, producing that fruit, which is then swelling up in them and pouring out of their life. Who are you? What fruit are you producing? Jesus warns of false prophets, those who can lead us astray. He taught that they can be easily identified by evaluating the fruit of their lives. We're to stay clear of them and instead rely on the Holy Spirit to give us, uh, to guide us into a living, uh, living a righteous and obedient life that is built on the word of God. True prophet, false prophet. True believer, false believer. Something about your life will tell people what it is that you believe, who it is that you are. And then we pick up in verse 22. In verse 22, so if you think about Matthew chapter 22, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus gives us the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And to love our neighbor as ourselves. Those are the greatest commandments. In Matthew 28, Jesus gives us the Great Commission, which is to go, therefore, right, into all nations, teaching, baptizing, all that. I think we maybe talked about that a little bit last week, okay? Well, if you think about it in that context, Matthew chapter 7, verses 22, Matthew 22, through 28, 28, is what I would call the Great Conclusion, it's not the great commandment, not the great commission, but the great conclusion. And here it is. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons, perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evil doers. This is a sobering text, a very humbling passage of Scripture. Lord, Lord, did we not? I mean, think about the list we could come up with. Some of us are here a lot. I see some of you at church a lot. I see some of you wearing your I Love My Church shirt every day, all day long, and all night too, right? We are some good people. Go ahead and take your hand and give yourself a little pat on the back, right? We do a lot of really good things, and I can think about the list that we could come up with. 
Lord, Lord, did we not sing in the praise team? Did we not attend small group, lead a small group, right? Did we not serve on serve on Sundays? Did we not go on mission to Jamaica or to Mexico or to wherever, right? Did we not? I mean, just think about the list that we could start coming up with in our minds. Did we not do this? Did we not do that? Did we not do that? And the Bible says that there are those who on that day will say to the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, did I not do this and this and this? They'll go down the list. And Jesus very patiently will stand there, arms folded, waiting for them to finish, only to say to them, I never knew you. That is a sobering text. What does that tell me? It tells me that there's a big difference between knowing Jesus Christ and knowing Jesus Christ. I can know all about him. I can do all the right things. I can say all the right things. I can show up at all the right times. I can open the church. I can close the church. I can sing in the choir. I can do all the things. But at the end of the day, if I don't know Jesus Christ in here, he's going to look at me one day and say, away from me, I never truly knew you. Never knew you. I want to read this for you in the message transliteration. Um, I don't have good notes up here with me today, so I actually had to bring the Bible. I know it's scary, isn't it? Uh, listen to this. It says, I can see it now. At the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. Our God-sponsored projects, projects had everyone talking. Ooh, that's humbling for those of us in church work. And do you know what I am going to say? You missed the boat. All that you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. <laughs> I don't love that passage, right? Especially the part where it's like, your events, you just use them to build your, you know what I mean? Like, oh, have I done that? Mm, probably. Very sobering. And then he says in verse 24, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, okay, so think about all that we've heard in the Sermon on the Mount. Started with the Beatitudes, and it's brought us to here hears these words of mine, and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and yet it did not fall. Why? Because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, sounds familiar, and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Another translation says, and great was its fall. Hey, folks, what do we know about rocks? Sturdy, hard, solid, firm. What do we know about sand? The exact opposite. Not sturdy, not strong, not stable, very wishy-washy, 
going here, going there. Jesus says, build your faith on what is firm. Build your faith on the rock. Who is the rock? Christ Jesus. Don't build your house on the sand because guess what? In both scenarios, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew. But in one scenario, the house did not fall. And in the other scenario, not only did the house fall, but its fall was great. Think about that. God is in no way saying that we are going to be spared trials, that we are going to be spared tribulation, that we are going to be spared trouble. That's not what he's saying. Oh, just come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and you'll never have another problem. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is build your life around me, use me as your foundation, and you'll be able to withstand the storms. You'll be able to withstand the storms. And then he concludes, he says, or the Bible actually says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Think about that. Everyone they had ever sat under, their teaching. I mean, think about the doubts that were going through their minds as they were listening to some of these Pharisees and teachers of the law teach. Like, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I see you doing something different, right? And yet Jesus taught as one who had incredible authority. Jesus taught as one that they could take his word as gospel, as truth. So where are you, folks? I mean, this Sermon on the Mount has been packed full of all different types of teaching. And as difficult as some of these things may seem, Jesus made it clear what is expected of us. We are to first place our faith and our trust in him in order to be saved. But we are not saved just from something. We are saved to and for something. I'm in the process of inviting people to join Team FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. That's, that's kind of where I'm heading next. And inviting people to join the team here in Cincinnati. And more specifically, I've been inviting specific men and women to join my board of ministry with FCA. Now, whether or not they join the board, that's a free decision for them to make. An invitation was given, and the choice is there. However, I will say that with membership comes certain expectations. And in much the same way, we are invited by Christ to become citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Whether or not we take citizenship, well, that's up to us. It's our decision to make. But I will say this. With citizenship comes certain expectations, certain responsibilities that we are to live. We are to live humbly putting others' needs before our own. We are to be honest, to be people of high character and high integrity. We are to love first, even our enemies. We are to extend God's grace to those around us. We are to live lives characterized by obedience. We are to seek God in everything. We are to fast and we are to pray. We are to store up treasures in heaven and not on earth. We are to put worry behind us and hold back condemnation. We are to do all of this and more, but not because it gets us into the kingdom, but because it shines light on the kingdom and more importantly, the king. That's how we're to live our life. 
And that's what Jesus has spent the last 14 weeks <laughs> spelling out for us. This is what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So the question is, what have you been grappling with? Which one of these sermons really got up in your stuff, got up in your business, really messed with you a little bit? The band's going to play and sing. We're going to just invite. We're going to invite prayer ministers right now to go ahead and make their way up front. And we just want to invite anyone and everyone in the room to come forward for prayer. And it, every single person might be coming up for a different reason, right? But there's probably something over these last four weeks that really spoke to you. Something that you said, you know what, that's an area of life where I need to, I need to work on. I need God to chisel a little bit. Something that you're feeling convicted about. Maybe today you're saying, you know what? I'm kind of a false prophet. I'm kind of hanging out by the wide gate. My house is really built on a sandy foundation. And maybe today's a day where you need to invite Jesus Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior. Maybe that's you. Or maybe it's a million other things. I'm going to pray. We're going to have some time. Just do some ministry up front. Come as you are able. Come down here and pray and kneel if you want to. You don't need to pray with someone else, but just do business with God this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for all that you've taught us, for all that you've been doing in our lives over these last several weeks as we've worked through these three very important chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. God, you started us out with the Beatitudes and what it looked like to have the attitude of Christ in our life. And God, now you've, you've You've wrapped us up here with this imagery of, of building our house on a rock and obeying your teachings and your principles or building our house on a sand and basically putting all of your teachings and principles aside and just saying, I'm not going to pay attention to that. And so God, everything in between, it's been up in our grill, it's been up in our business, it's been messing with us a little bit. And God, now we've got work to do. We've got things that we know when we walk out this door today, we need, to, we need to be trying to refine in our lives. Again, not because it earns us citizenship into the kingdom, but that it points a light to the king. So help us to do that. Help us to deal right now during this prayer time with the stuff that you want us dealing with. And may we do it out of obedience to you and in a love for you and who you are. It's in Christ's name I pray. And all God's people say, amen.